you will behold God. And uh, you will see God, and you will see the person of Jesus Christ, and you will be in his presence. Everyone in this room, everyone in this town, everyone in this state, everyone on this planet will see Jesus Christ, uh, the risen Christ. And I hope you're looking forward to that day. Last week we said Paul talked about all those who are longing for that day. And if you're not longing for that day, then, then something is wrong in your life. Either you don't know him, so the reason you're not longing to see Christ is because you don't really know him. Or maybe you, you do know him, but you're not walking with him. And so there's a, there's a division, there's a tension in your relationship with him. Or maybe Satan has put a lie into your heart. There are many lies that, that people believe. Uh, one is it's, it's better to be here than in heaven. You know, there are people that think heaven's going to be a little boring. And uh, they kind of like their life here. So they don't anticipate that. Or they feel like, you know what? People here could not survive without me. True. I mean, okay, moms, do you think, what would happen if you left, um, if you left your kids to your husband? <clears throat> and the house. And the laundry. And uh, our, our men, who would provide? Or we have all these things that, you know what? I, I, I couldn't leave here because people couldn't survive without me. Truth of the matter is we are all dispensable. The only one that's not dispensable is God, and he has promised to take care of us. He's promised to take care of my wife and my children, whether I'm here or not. He'll use me when I'm here, but if I'm not here, he'll find another way to do that. Um, people don't look forward to it because they feel like God's going to condemn them for being such a lousy Christian. Truth of the matter is, we're all lousy Christians, on one sense, and uh, we all fall short, and that's just a lie. Another is that I'm not going to have enough good things to show for my life, and uh, there's two sides to that. Number one, none of us are going to be good enough. That's why we live by the grace of God. Secondly, we're going to be amazed, I think. The Bible says God prepared us to do good works. I think we're going to be amazed at all the ways, all the good works that, that God did through us that we didn't even know or recognize at the time. And so there's lots of lies, lots of barriers, lots of things that might keep us from waking up in the morning and thinking, I cannot wait for the day to meet Christ and to see him face to face. Uh, last week, Paul wrote, it's the end of his life, he knew it. He said, my time for departure has come. And he, he writes to Timothy, he said, the battle is about to finish. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then he said this, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now, you might think that a crown of righteousness is a crown that you're going to get because you did righteous things. I mean, that's what we would naturally think. But in Philippians, Paul talks about that crown of righteousness, and, th and this is how, he, this is how he, he gives us a picture. He goes through in Philippians 3, and he talks about all of the righteous things he's done, and he names them. 
He delineates them out through several verses. I did this, I did this, I studied the scripture, I knew the scripture, I was a Pharisee, I was zealous. All of the religious stuff in his life, it's like he gathers it all up in his arms, and then he walks over, and he drops it in the dumpster. I'll quote his words, I consider all of it as rubbish or trash in comparison to what? To having a righteousness that does not come from the law, not a righteousness of my own. What Paul was looking forward to is the righteousness of Christ. So that's the gift that God has to you, that one day you'll stand before him and you'll be perfect in his eyes. Not because you lived a perfect life, but because we look forward to the crown of righteousness it is the very righteousness of Christ that he gives to us as this amazing gift. We will all receive that righteousness who are in Christ. We will all see Jesus, and we will see the Jesus that this morning John saw, because John really saw two, two uh, Jesus in two very, very different forms. He saw him as what the scripture says was the emptied Christ, the Christ that left his glory, that emptied himself, became as nothing like a servant, like one of us, like a little child. That's the Jesus that John knew, but in the end of the story, as we'll see this morning, John saw a Jesus that was not emptied of his glory, but was full of his glory. We move into the final chapter of the story this morning. 31 weeks we've been walking through this story and today we come to that last chapter. We see here that we, we, we read about and we look back on the coming of the rescuer. And this morning, we're going to look ahead to the return of the rescuer. Who's going to complete the job which he came to do. Which was not just to save you from the penalty of sin and begin to save us from the power of sin, but begin, he's going to come and remove all of the consequences of sin. All of the brokenness in this world, all of the pain, all of the disease, all of the stuff that we wrestle and fight against. As we see this morning, he is coming in a final chapter of the story. So, this morning, our, our text is the book of Revelations. And uh, in the next uh, 20 minutes or so, we're just going to go through the book of Revelations together. <clears throat> All right? Here's what I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to share. And let me just say this. You know, we, we look at our lives and... Uh, we look at our lives, and, and one day, as the end of the story tells us, we're going to step into a different age, and it's going to be an age of eternity. Some of you have, some of you have seen this, this illustration before. And, uh, in fact, it was going around YouTube again this week, and I, I was going to show it because uh, Francis Chan does a really good job of describing it, but our technology's not working, so we'll do it live, okay? So I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask Brandon here and uh, Luke, because you guys are sitting in the front. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <clears throat> Could you do something for me? Could you just stretch that out for me? And uh, many of you have seen this, but I just want you to see it, because there's something about seeing it that... Um, so 
I want you to imagine this morning, hold it up nice and high, guys. Okay, I want you to, uh, just come over to me. That's great. I like this. <laughs> okay. I want you to imagine, you know, the, the illustration is that this represents our life and it just keeps going on and on. Okay? So this is your life. Right there. Can you see that? That little white? That, that is your life. And, uh, you know, right now we get kind of focused. We get, we get kind of focused in on this, on this little piece of life. And, and one day when you step into eternity, you're going to look at your life and it's going to look like that. And, and you're going to look at your life and you're going to say, wow, look at all those years that I suffered there. Can you see that? <clears throat> that eighth of an inch there? And then you planned for, uh, look at all those years of retirement. Can you see them? That's, uh, that's about three sixteenths of an inch. And you're going to look at your life and, uh, thanks guys, you can just lay that down right there. I think that life, like a spot on that line, I think one day life is going to look like a moment in time. It's just going to look like a moment. And you're going to look back and you're going to realize there's only one major thing, the only thing that mattered in that moment was what you decided about the person of Christ. Nothing else will matter, matter in that moment. Everything you lost in this life or had to give up, whatever, that will all be renewed. Way beyond what you had in this life. The only thing you don't get to repeat is the decision. The decision to receive the forgiveness of Christ. That will not be an option beyond this life. And so, what an, uh, an amazing thing. That's what the story is about. The extent to which God would go to rescue you, to, to offer his son as a sacrifice for your sin, to do the work that you could never do to be saved. And so we, we celebrate that. And uh, that's why we share the gospel every week. So here's the final book. Here's the final book in the story. And there's a couple dates. Some put it about 65 to 70 AD, some a little bit later. It doesn't really matter. A little bit of the context here is that Christians now have been outcasts for, for several decades. And it has gotten hard. There's been some really brutal uh, emperors and, and leaders, dictators that have come. They have, they have persecuted Christians, people that didn't give them jobs. It was really hard. They were, they were the people that were stupid and they were out of it and they were kind of radical and weird and they were very marginalized in their culture. Just think, at this point of, of Revelation, probably all of the disciples except for John have been killed. So imagine you're part of a church and, and all your leaders but one and he's exiled on an island somewhere. They've all been wiped out. And so these Christians... It was not easy. There, there was a level of discouragement there that was going on in, in the lives of, of these Christians. And so God does something amazing. I think it's amazing. He gives us the ending of the story before it happens. Now, some of you would say that's a bad deal. You know, somebody's telling you about a movie. They say, oh, don't tell me the ending. I don't want to know. You know, you ever say that? I told you a story a while back about a grandmother who was talking with her grandsons, and she said, you know what? When I get a book, the first thing I do is read the last chapter. 
kid said, Grandma, you can't do that. That ruins the story. She said, no, I have to figure out whether the story's worth reading or not. <laughs> if it doesn't have a happy ending, I don't want to read it. Do you feel like that? I mean, my wife won't go to a movie unless it has a happy ending. There's enough sad endings, there's enough sad things, right, going on in our culture. We don't need to go to a movie and see another sad thing happening. We, there's something innately within us that longs for a, a happily ever after ending. We see that here in the book of Revelation. You know, perhaps some of these people were wondering, is my, is my life worth living? What's, you know, what's ahead? This is really hard. Is there something better ahead? So God gave them the book of Revelation, like almost kind of like they can't see over the wall. Revelation is like giving them foot, uh, finger holes and they can peek up over the wall and God gives them a vision through John of what's to come. I, I am so thankful for that gift. Do you know that God didn't have to do that? He could have just said, you know what? You need to trust me. Life's hard. It's difficult. God says, you know what? I've got something good in store. Just trust me. That's all he would have had to said, but no, he, he gives his church of that century and he gives us this morning a picture of what is going to happen as the story continues to play out. So here we have it. If, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to just, if you want to follow along with me, you can. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to do some reading this morning and First one is, is John, Revelation, I mean, 1, 1 through 3. You'll see it up in the wall. Here's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So John is he's on this island, he's exiled there, and he's in the, he, he says he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and all of a sudden, we, we read here that, uh, as we read on, we see that an angel came to him and uh, there was some evidently he could he knew there was this being there and this angel is there helping communicate this vision which he is now going to write down and so here's the first thing he sees you know it's been said that the book of revelation was really really it's meant to just be read there's so many pictures here and so i'm, I'm going to read we're going to visit four scenes here in the next 15 minutes I want you to visit four scenes with me. And what I want you to do as I, as I read the, the scene that's described here, I'm going to ask you this morning to just close your eyes when I read the text. I want you to allow this to paint this picture in your mind. Okay? So the first one is a, is a vision of Christ. So just close your eyes as I read this. I want you to just allow these words to paint this picture of what he saw. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that, is, that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me, 
loud voice, like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. He said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you've seen, what is now, what will take place later. And the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so this is the first picture John gets. It's a vision of the glorified Christ. This is not a picture of Jesus holding a lamb to his chest. Okay, you've seen those pictures? That, that was cheese. That was the empty Jesus. This is the glorified Christ. And he is he's awesome. He's, a, he's amazing. He is... He is, uh, he is the, the glorified Christ. And so he sees this extremely powerful vision of Jesus Christ. When we see Christ, when you meet Christ one day, you're going to see the glorified Christ. And I think, this is my opinion, but I think when we see Christ, that we will all, we will all go down. You'll be on your knees, you'll be on your face, but in, in, in the, the first thing that will happen to us is we will go down in, in humility. In, it says here, John, now I remind you, this is the man who laid his head on Jesus' breast and walked with him for three years. When John saw the glorified Christ, he said he fell to the ground as if he was dead. You know, it's almost like he was just, he was just motionless. And I also believe that the next thing that happened to John is what will happen to us. Because Jesus reaches down and touches him. Puts his hand on him. And I think that touch will be the most powerful touch that you ever feel. The first time that Jesus Christ touches you. And, and the words here are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh, you can get up. And so we see here this powerful, powerful picture, this first scene. And, you know, Jesus doesn't just come to impress us with his glory. His first word is, I have messages for my church. Because Christ loves his church. And so he then goes into a message for each church. How would you like to be in Ephesus and, and be, let's say it was Sunday morning, and 
you get the book of Revelation. How would you like to hear that letter on a Sunday morning? To a persecuted church, to a discouraged church. It had to have been an unbelievable experience for the church to receive this for the first time. Well, here's the second vision. The second one is, is Christ in heaven. I'm going to read part of this. He says, after this I looked, and before me there was a door standing open in heaven. So just envision this again. Just close your eyes, listen to this. There was a door open in heaven, and the voice I heard first speak to me. Like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place. He says, I was in the Spirit, and before me was a throne. Now envision this throne with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat on it had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. These are, these are jewels now. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne now come flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, front and in back. The first was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. And day and night... They never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. Then it continues. And I saw the right, hand, the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll. With writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I, I, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it and I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside then one of the elders said to me do not weep see the lion of Judah of the tribe of Judah the root of David has triumphed he is able to open the scroll and its seals and I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the center of the throne Encircled by four living creatures and elders, he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and each one a harp, and notice what they were carrying. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers reach the throne of God. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. 
Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. We're talking tens of hundreds of millions of angels here. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders in a loud voice are saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Verse 13, Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and all in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. People, this is why we proclaim that there is only one name under heaven by which you can be saved. I mean, who do you compare to Christ? Of whom all creation is seen here, of, of granting worship and honor and praise. And so we have this powerful vision of Christ in heaven. We don't have time this morning to go through what this unleashes, but when the scroll is open, God's judgment now comes upon the earth. And, and I mean, if you think 9-11 was anything, that was nothing. We see that in one swipe, a third of the population of the world, billion, probably over a billion people will die. When the judgment of God comes, and the goal will be to get people to repent, and it will say over and over, and still people would not repent. Still people would not turn to the living God and acknowledge him. And so we see many, many chapters of this judgment. We see the bowls, and we see the trumpets, and we see the seals being poured out. The Antichrist, the beast, Satan, uh, <clears throat> the final battles against evil. And then we come to my favorite part. This is my favorite part of the story. Um, everybody has a favorite part. This, this, is the, this is the happily ever after. This is where evil is finally once and for all defeated. This is a part where what was lost gets restored. And so we enter this, this final scene in heaven. I'd like to read just from Revelation 19, just a little bit of it. <clears throat> Revelation 19, 1 and 2. And after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah. God has defeated death. He has defeated Satan. He has defeated all of the powers of sin. And in 6 and 7 it says, Then I heard like what sounded like a great multitude saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And that's the church. He's talking about you. He's, he's talking about me. Christ is talking about the marriage feast of the Lamb, the day that Christ looks forward to when he's reunited with his church. And we see here there's a time of God's reign upon the earth. There's a final judgment. And then in the very end, in the very end, we go back to Genesis. We go back to the beginning. And there is a, there is a recreating 
I mean, we marvel at the, at the Genesis story. In the end of the story, there is a recreation of heaven and earth. The earth will again be created by the power of God. The heavens will again be recreated by the power of God. Chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Powerful, powerful. In chapter 21, he describes this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. He says in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. This is, this is how the story ends. This new Jerusalem comes down, and John has a picture of it. And he sees it's described. It's this massive building, and it's, it's like crystal all the way up. And it's, it's, well, here's a picture of it. There's a picture of, uh, that's the dimensions. It's 1,600 miles square at the base. It's 1,600 miles high. That means if your friend lives on the top floor and you get in the elevator, it will take you 10 24-hour days to get there. So hope your best friends don't live on the top floor in the New Jerusalem. It's just a picture, okay? But it's a picture that God gave to John to tell him this is massive. This is big. This, this is amazing. And God is going to come and dwell with his people, and he will reign with them. He will be their bride. Revelation 22, 6 through 9. Conclude with these words. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things must, that must soon take place. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy in this book. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and, and, and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. And he said, don't do it. I'm just a fellow servant with you and your brothers, and the prophets of all who keeps this book. Worship God. Worship God. Well, this is a vision God gave to the early church. You know what? This is a vision God gives to you. And as we come to the end of the story, this is a vision that should, this should be in your mind every day. You should not lose sight of this vision. You should not lose sight of this longing. Because there's nothing in this life that's ever going to fulfill what this is going to fulfill. I don't care how hard you seek the Lord. I don't care how much of His Spirit you experience. There's always going to be something missing. And, and this morning we hear what that is. You will never be satisfied until you are fully in the presence of God. Until you will fully meet the presence of Christ. You know, the, the Chronicles of Narnia is a it was a great story. And uh, I want to just conclude here with this, this picture. 
How many of you have seen the Chronicles of Narnia or read the book or, okay, a lot of people here. It's about some kids that come to their uncles for a kind of a boring stay and they, they walk into this land through this, through this wardrobe and it's Narnia and it's a, C.S. Lewis uses to, to illustrate what's going on in, the, in this world and, and uh, it's, it's really a, it really follows the story that we've been going through and it anticipates the coming of the lion who's Aslan, who, is, who symbolizes the return of Christ, what we read this morning. And, you know, when I see those, when I see those kids, because that's in my mind what they are, and uh, they've got these warrior things on, I'm going, those aren't really warriors, they're just kids. I mean, it's almost like they're dressing up. Because we know they were just kids, but now they're warriors. And then there's another scene where they're sitting on thrones. And we're going, these are just normal people sitting on, these aren't princesses and queens. And yet, they are. You are an heir with Christ. You, you are a warrior in this story. And you are doing battle for God and his kingdom. And, and you are defeating strongholds of Satan through the power of God and in, in our lives and so that, that is really a picture of us this morning. That we are warriors in this story. That we are heirs with Christ. That, that we are the people of God. And it is a powerful, powerful, powerful story. And it's not over. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote in the, in the end of his story in the last battle, and he writes this. He's talking about the lion now, which represented Christ. He said, as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful, I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. We can most truly say they all lived happily ever after, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. For all of their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning the chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth had fully read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is a story that's far from over. And so this morning, we don't really come, I'm not going to tell you we're at the end of the story. Because you and I continue to live out this story, we are called to, and, and my message is this today, we are called to anticipate the next major event in the story, and that is the return of Aslan. That is the return of Christ for his people, for the wedding feast, for the marriage, for the ultimate uniting of God with his people. My question is, are you longing for that day? And uh, are you ready for that day? I want to just read this prayer as, as we conclude this morning. And uh, maybe you're here and you've never prayed this prayer. Not, not exactly this prayer, but the spirit of this prayer. And uh, this was written 
in response to uh, the, the story as we've gone through it. And if this prayer is a prayer of your heart, I'm going to challenge you just to pray this in your heart this morning. Dear God, I know I've inherited the sin nature of Adam. I act out of this nature in many selfish ways that make me unfit for you and your perfect community. I know there's nothing in myself I can do to change this. And it is often hard for me to grasp, but I know you want to be in relationship with me. The extent to which you have gone to provide the way to you overwhelms me. You sent your one and your only son, died on the cross for my sins. And so by faith, I humbly accept your offer of forgiveness. Today, by your grace, I am embracing your vision of the life that brings us back together forever. And I will align the remaining days of my life on earth with the upper story in the power of your Holy Spirit, which is coming into my life right now in Jesus' name. That is a prayer that anyone can pray. This is a hope that anyone can have. And uh, this is a hope that we are called to live by day in and day out. I'm going to invite you to stand. And uh, we're going to pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for this amazing story. It's a wonderful story. It's a it's just amazing how from the beginning of time it just seamless, seamlessly unfolds. A book written by, by 40 different authors over 40 generations, over 1,500 years, and yet we see from book to book it is the seamless story of your redemptive plan. Of not only what you've done, but what you're going to do. And Father, we know that this is a story that has yet to unfold and uh, Lord, we just kind of privilege this morning to be your people and uh, to have the joy of, Lord, just living every day in the anticipation of your return for us. Father, we, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.